Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So in today's episode, ladies, we have a special guest, Tessa White. She works with entrepreneurs, companies to really help them move from the ordinary to the extraordinary. What was really powerful about today's episode is we really break it down for women that are, you know, small business owners and, and growing their portfolios, growing their companies. And we talk all about micromanaging and how to identify yourself as, as, are you a micromanager? And then what to do so you can set people up for the most success and not get in the way of other people's success as you grow and evolve and let go. And I think that one of the most important things that she talks about is having those difficult conversations with your team members, right? And she breaks it down, ladies, step by step step, how can you approach that and enroll your team member into the process of building the company that you want? You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Invest Her Show, where our mission is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life. And whatever balance means to you, right, Andressa? We always yes. like to say that. We appreciate everyone being on this journey with us. We've been podcasting for four years, published by Bigger Pockets. So if you have not left us a review, shame on you. No, I'm joking. We love some love that way in terms of just sharing what this show has done for you. We hear it in our community, but we would love to you know, ask you personally to also take a moment to do that. We would, haven't asked for that in a while. So we want to make sure we ask for that. Tessa White is on our show here today. Tessa, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, so happy to be here. Really excited to jump into her story and all her great recommendations. We're going to be talking about micromanaging and all the things around how we can just be better leaders and entrepreneurs as we grow our investments. So excited to jump into that. But we like to get connected to all of you, all the women listening. And we know men listen to our show too, which is wonderful. But we like to get connected to you by sharing a quick story or something coming up for us, right, Andressa? Yeah. Where they can take that into their lives. So I think it's my turn, right? 
Yes, it is. Here's what I have for you. I always like to share stories that start out tough and then have a good ending, you know? So, so really, really quick. That's kind of a funny That's way to say it. That's what's going to happen today. <laughs> <laughs> quick story. We have, we're finishing our basement. We're finishing our basement. And that's, you know, it's been going actually really well. Love our contractor, you know, and he, he's been terrific. And they just sheetrocked. So that's kind of an exciting step, as we all know, in real estate, yeah. right? When you get to the sheetrock, it should be smooth, smooth sailing. So we go downstairs. Technically, we, technically right. <laughs> we know in investing in real estate, that's not always the case. So we go down there and we see a bunch of water on the uh, sheetrock that literally uh, was just put up. And we're like, that's weird. And so we kind of troubleshooted it and figured it out. And it ended up our dishwasher is leaking. Now our dishwasher is two years old. I just literally put it in two years ago, right after we moved. So it's like weird, right? Why would our dishwasher be leaking? And it hasn't been cleaning either. So two bad things, right? Dishwasher is not really working and cleaning anything. And it's leaking on our brand new sheetrock and probably have to replace a bunch of sheetrock. So of course we have somebody come out. I said, so the repair people come yesterday and first they got to tell you about what you have. Ah, oh, GEs are horrible. I'm like, thanks so much for sharing that. Can, can we, can you help us? You know? So he goes in and inspects it and finds a bunch of mouse poop everywhere. So the thinking is that- and the worse. I know, exactly. The water <laughs> line is literally chewed up the water line of the dishwasher. So interesting, right? So they see mouse poop and it's like literally chewed. So they're assuming that the mice chewed our line, which has caused the leak, obviously. And then obviously it doesn't work. So we need to get a new one. You know, it's like two years ago. I'm like, of course our warranty was like one year. So, you know me, I'm like, ah, I don't really want to buy a new dishwasher. Why I say all this is now we're going to get an exterminator, right? Because we catch mice all the time. There's the bottom line. We catch them all the time. One, two, three, four, five. No one in our neighborhood has mice problem except our house. So we just catch them you and we catch move on. five mice. There's a lot, I know. And so I was talking to my husband. I said, you know, here's what I'm learning. Because there's always a lesson in everything, right? <laughs> there's a lesson in everything. Here, here's the lesson. The lesson is this. Uh, we were being reactive with the mice, meaning we put mouse traps up. We know we're going to get them. It's the season that we get them. Had we been proactive, had we actually hired a company because they're getting in here somehow. There's a bigger problem, which we knew, than just putting up a couple of mouse traps in our house, which has now caused us have to replace our dishwasher, which is going to be what? $700, $800 out of our pocket that we weren't expecting. So we're going to get an exterminator. They're going to inspect everything. And I got into this discussion with my husband. He's like, we'll just put more mouse traps up. I'm like, that's not the solving the problem here. We have a bigger issue. So where you could take this into your real estate investing lives, the punchline is that where are you putting band-aids? Where are you reacting? Where are you just putting a mouse trap up to catch a mouse when you really should be hiring a company to do a full inspection and spending a little more money and time so you could solve the problem? That's my recommendation for today. You guys <laughs> do that for your investment business. What's that? Hire you an exterminator? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We don't just put mouse traps up. No. Exactly. It's a good metaphor, right? <laughs> you probably just saved me $4,000 because I have a water main link from the house we bought from the house to the road. And I was just going to patch it. And now I'm thinking, maybe I had to replace that whole line and get <laughs> <bust> everywhere. I'm so <laughs> happy. That we will so hook happy. you up. We will hook you up with some connections in Utah that can support you. I don't know who that is, but I bet <laughs> our Facebook community of women have somebody there to replace that. And that's and, no and fun. And you know, in the rental business, right? We are always, we always are get the, do you want to band-aid the problem? Do you want to fix the problem? How long are you to own the asset? And you know what? The short answer is to always do the right thing. 
it's always going to cost you more in the end. It has for us, right? Had I got it, an exterminator is cheaper than $800, hands down, right? Even if I get the plus plus plan and it comes out four times a year, it's going to cost less than now me buying a new dishwasher, which I have. I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost a little bit more. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to view your heads up. Yes. I kind of have that out of my head because we haven't dealt with exterminators at our properties <laughs> in a while. So, I but thank you no, for sharing. If you, get, if you get a good one, they're going to tight up your entire yes. property. And that's what and, needs to and, happen. And treat, right? So right. the first time that they're going to do that. That's true. It's going to be a little bit higher considering the size of your property. And I'm just making an estimate because I just did that in my own property. So it's going to be a all little right. bit higher than that, but it's all good. It's all good. I'll take some deep breaths. So don't shortcut. <laughs> don't shortcut, ladies. Do the right thing because it's going to cost you more in the end. All right. Without further ado, Tessa, thanks so much again for being on our show. We always like to kind of kick things off. Obviously, you work with corporations on so many levels, helping them max out and really have high, high performance employees as well as themselves. I know that's what you stand for in a lot of your work. How did you get into this? How did you get into doing that? You know, where did it begin for you as now that you're working with so many different companies and helping them? with their teams and, and people? Well, it was really accidental, if anything. I was, if you go back far enough, I was a single mother, found myself as a single mother and no education. And I thought, well, there's two things I'm good at. I, I can talk to people and I can type. That was the thing back then. I ended up falling into HR as just something that felt like a fit and was fortunate enough to work for Stephen R. Covey, the acclaimed leadership expert in my oh, first job. Love him. Yeah. That's awesome. I learned so many lessons there. If you fast forward, I was in HR for 25 years and one day woke up and said, I'm tired of protecting the company. I want to protect the individual and I'm not getting any younger. So during the pandemic, I made one of those big job pivots and ended up posting a couple of TikToks. My daughter actually had to post them. I couldn't even log into the app. And three days later, I got a call from my son in California. He said, mom, this can't be possible. But my girlfriend said she just saw you on TikTok. Is that a thing? And anyway, it turns out I got 10,000 followers in three days. And now I'm up to a million through my social media channels. And I've just found a real place for myself in helping coach the individual, which also helps the companies help people get the job or get the pay or actually just reclaim their job satisfaction altogether. I love it. And that's how I came across you. And it was in a, a very specific TikTok video that you were very dynamic explaining how people can understand or identify if they are micromanagers. Yes. And how is that holding them back? So Tessa, if you could please break that down for all the real estate investors, the women that are listening to us right now, they are growing a team, so they don't need to be solopreneurs anymore. However, they find themselves in this trap where then now they feel that they must give step-by-step -step to everybody on the team in order for them to perform and then goes in a spiral. So let's take a step back. And what are the questions that we can ask ourselves to identify if we are micromanagers or not? Okay. First of all, if you are a micromanager and hear yourself in this, there are ways to fix it. I must say that because it's usually Ooh. from a good place. <laughs> that's, that's breathe, people. <laughs> yes. So breathe. When I go into companies, I can tell I have a micromanager when I talk to the manager and this is how they describe their team. They say, my team is not accountable. My whole team is not accountable. 
I hired people that I thought were really good at what they do. And all they do is wait for somebody else or me to tell them what to do. And I need them to be more autonomous. When you describe your entire team that way, I promise your whole team is not that way. You did not hire, make that many bad hiring decisions. What it is a symptom of is that what you've done is you're micromanaging your team. And what happens, you train your people slowly to do nothing except what you say to do because they don't like doing rework. So you train them to get instruction from you on every little step until at one point you shut down your team's creativity. And the result that you get will never be better than what's in your own brain. And isn't that terrifying to think of? Because when you hire a team of people, you're hiring, hopefully, the creativity and the expertise of these people, but you've shut it down. So to not be a micromanager, the first step you've got to do is understand you define the what, what needs to get done, and the outcome, and when it needs to be done. And you've got to let your team do the middle part. Let them figure out the how. Because if you're defining the how, you're really shutting down creativity. I love this so much and my brain start going to different directions, right? So as you mentioned, it's impossible that your entire team is facing that same issue, right? And as leaders, as owners of the companies, we always look, my team is as good as I can lead them. So I take responsibility for that. So let's take a step back also again and look at your HR experience. Mm-hmm. So when we are hiring people, of course, we want to hire creative people, people that are filling out the gaps that we have in the company. What are the biggest mistakes that you've seen people when during the hiring process? I think that managers, the worst interviewers are spending so much time talking about the position that they learn nothing about the person. So start there. You need to be asking the person you're interviewing questions and behavioral questions are the best ones to ask because how a person behaved in the past is likely how they'll behave in the future. So even this one simple tip when you're interviewing, tell me about a time when, if you can just preface any question you have. So if you're trying to find people that are go-getters, that don't need a lot of guidance, this job requires somebody who doesn't need a lot of guidance and who can figure out what needs to be done. Tell me about a time when you didn't have a lot of guidance. And all of a sudden, when you get those past experiences, you get to have a glimpse as to what you might be getting. I love tests as well. Not hard tests, but I like to get inside a person's brain to understand how they would solve a problem. So give them a problem from your business. Say, I'm struggling with this and how to solve this particular problem. Just for a moment, Tell me where your brain goes and how you would start solving it or some things you would want to look at, not holding you to a perfect example because you don't work here, but let's talk about it. And you begin to see how that person's brain works and whether they're a sink or swim person or whether they're a person that needs a lot of training and guidance. Neither one is bad, by the way. It depends what your culture is of your company, but figure out if there's a match there. Love that. So I want to take a step back to around how someone knows they're micromanaging. So just to play devil's advocate, you could have someone who's just not a very creative person, right? Mm-hmm. On a team who who really just, that's not their thing, right? They are going to appreciate direction. What do I need to do? When do I need to do it? Kind of thing. So 
how would someone take a step back and really look at themselves in the mirror? You know, the woman listening right now, because sometimes people don't think they're a micromanager and they might be, right? There, there's That's a possibility. Or they're like, yeah, I'm a 10 out of 10 micromanager. Now I know exactly that I am and I need that help. Or some people are like, I don't know if I am, or I don't think I am, but in reality they are. So what are some like questions they can ask themselves or just like, what can they do to look in the, themselves in the mirror? Obviously looking at their team, to mm-hmm. your point, are there other things they can do? I would say the biggest question I get is, well, if I have a team member who's maybe not as senior or advanced as I hope, I do need to check in. How often do I check in without being a micromanager? And I think the question is to pay attention to how often are you checking in? And when the person, you ask the question, tell me some ways that you think you want to get this project across the finish line. I'm just curious you know, how you're thinking about it. And if you find yourself saying, no, I don't think that's the right way, or I I don't like that idea. And you find that say two out of three times when you're checking, having checkpoints with someone that you're redefining how they do it, that probably is a sign that you need to pull back a bit. I had a uh, CEO boss who was the best boss I've ever had. Luckily, he was fantastic. He said, Tessa, I need you to uplift recruiting by 25%, but you have no more money, but you have to get 25% more people in the door. And so I hired, believe it or not, I decided to hire somebody who works with social media with B-list movie stars. That was my recruiting expert, never had touched recruiting ever. And I thought if you can revitalize a B-list movie star and use social media, and I believe social media is a way to attract people to this particular Gen Z company, let's try it. And that boss, to his credit, said, huh, well, I would never have gone after it that way, but I trust you because I hired, I hired you for your expertise. Let's give it a shot and see if it works. Why don't we just have a couple of earlier check-ins as this gets going to make sure that it's moving the way that you want it to. And what would make me more comfortable is just to have a plan B in your back pocket in case, but go, let's go for it. And so he acknowledged it was an unconventional idea. He let me have the latitude to do it, but he made me think through a plan B that I could execute in the event that my plan didn't work. And so he gave me the latitude to do it. It worked beautifully. And we ended up uplifting recruiting the way we wanted to. But it's really hard, I think, as a manager not to redo something. So if you're redoing something, redoing the entire approach, that's a problem. If you're asking someone clarifying questions about the approach, just to make sure they've thought it through, that's okay. I think that a lot of the women that are listening to us are millennials and many of them, Gen X, that are adapting still to the new way of doing things. And I think it was very brave of this CEO to, first of all, put their ego aside because sometimes that gets in the way, doesn't it, Tessa? Because Mm -hmm. many times we are the ones in the way of scalability. And let me ask you this very straightforward question. Is it possible for somebody to scale a business by being a micromanager? Not unless they're the most brilliant person in the world because their ideas are, they're limited. Like I'm limited, even I may be a brilliant strategist, but unless I'm good at all things, I'm limited in how much I can scale unless I have the power of additional people and their minds and their expertise to be able to see the world differently, which is one of the things that if you're a CEO running a business, you should really consider 
don't just reward people for ideas that work, which we often do, which again, shuts down some of the creativity. Reward people for ideas, even if they don't work. Reward ideation and experimentation, not just the things that get results. I love that. And let me ask you a quick question regarding the relationship between micromanaging and having control. As women, we naturally have control of what's going on in different areas of our personal lives, the family, the business, you name it, right? So when we're thinking about building teams in real estate, scaling, investing out of state, we won't be able to be there, right? Right. And then letting go of this control, a lot of women say, I can't, I can't do that, or I don't know how to do that. Building a team seems far away or some type of area that I don't have the skill set or expertise. What are the first things that they can do in order to break that barrier and start moving forward so they I'm can gonna, scale? I'm going to generalize a little bit. So forgive me. I'm going to generalize women for a moment. This isn't the case for everyone. But generally, when I'm working with women, I find that they're slow to get the help because they feel like they can do it all. And when they do get the help, they're hesitant to put too much on other people. That's just kind of a general rule. I want you to think about your business as a puzzle. When you have problems, the puzzle pieces, think about what are my problems I have and who is best suited to solve those problems and who has the know-how to be able to do that. And I find when I think about my business as a puzzle and the people that work for me as pieces of the puzzle, I can get more clear about who can do what for me. And I'm more free to experiment. And then it's easier to explain to the team what roles I can see them playing and have really good dialogue around who needs to do what in order to make the puzzle work or the puzzle come together. Yeah, I love that. And I'm thinking about a few different things, especially as, you know, the women listening may have, they may have partners, they may have, you know, brokers. There's a lot of constituents, if you will, in, in our business, not just core employees, yeah. right? Because right. it's, you know, it's, you're growing a portfolio, you're, you have a contractor constantly, people you're employing in, in a sense, just not a traditional sense of like, this is my company and I have a brick and mortar and all these people come and we all work together every day. That may not look like that for everyone here, but they have relationships that they have to manage to your point. And how do you best, I love that. How do you best solve the problem? You know, it's interesting our own process, our own evolving kind of gets us to where we are, right? And, and then to, then you really want to say, okay, I want to scale. I want to grow here. New minds are needed. It's just necessary. We don't always know that as women, not that we don't know that, but we sometimes we don't get out of our own way. Well, how, have you, how have you found women to get out of their own way with the issues that you just shared? How do they get out of their own way to not feel so bad letting go, giving people tasks, as well as maybe what I'm saying of being aware of some of these things, holding them back? I tell women the number one thing for them that I have seen help is remember that the thing that got you here is not the thing that's going to make you successful at the next level. And so for many women who have built a small business, what got them here and what made them successful was this gritty, I can do it, I can do everything kind of attitude, right? I can take care of it. I can be all things. I will just muscle this to the ground. But what happens at a certain spot is you have to hire people to rely on them. And if you continue to operate in the stance that I've got this, you will fail. So recognizing, first of all, that the thing that made you successful will make you fail in the second stage of your entrepreneurial journey. And when you go to the second stage, this move from independence to interdependence is key. 
and you need to treat your the other people that you work with as partners. View them as all partners, not silos, not people who are getting in your way, but actual partners. And the way you change your language with them as a partner will affect the outcomes you get. So when you think of someone else as a barrier or getting in the way, that shows up in your language. But when you assume good intent in your partners, so you say to someone that, you know, said there's a deadline approaching and you feel like they're putting up barriers, you say, boy, I can see that it's going to be difficult to hit this deadline. And it feels like there's a lot of requirements that you need. Is that what you intended? All of a sudden, that magic question, is that what you intended? Or I don't think I understand exactly what's happening. Help me explain. Or is there something I don't understand about what's happening? Those three magic questions will help you get past the independence into an interdependence and treat others like a partner when you're assuming good intent. Like we really are a partnership in this thing. I like that a lot. And I think that Many times we have the assumption and expectation that once we hire somebody, then it's great. Flowers, sunshine, rainbow, and birds tripping. And there are some conversations that are uncomfortable. Yesterday, I had one. I had one with the copywriting team. And I decided to have a very mindful conversation with them because part of me was like pissed of people (laughs) dropping Uh the ball, right? Right. Like pissed off. And I think that a lot of women can relate. And they're like, I hired the wrong person. Just go, just go away, right? But I was like, listen, and I reiterate that in that conversation. And I said, I do believe you guys are the right team members for us. And I see that you guys can, you get the vision, you get the language, (laughs) you get where we're going. And here are the gaps where I feel that there was a a breakdown in communication or where can we put in place? But I am telling you, part of me was like, I'm just going to do it myself, but I'm not going to do that because I am already in a stage in the company that doesn't longer apply. But that thought Mm -hmm. came right back from the first time that we hired the first person came right back. Let me just freaking do it. Let me do it myself. Let me do it myself. It's kind of like a default. And I just like, no, we're not doing, we're not doing that. We're not, we're going to find out the way. But for the women that are listening, that are thinking that right now, I know many of you are hiring for the first time and going through that right now, before they fire somebody, what are the steps that they can do to really make sure, okay, I gave another shot. We put something mm-hmm. in place instead of just like, let's just let go of this. Okay. First of all, for the women listening that tend to say, I can do it myself and it's easier. Stage three. So we've talked about independence, right? And then moving to interdependence. The next stage of growth in a career, you have to get comfortable with conflict. That doesn't mean that you become a yeller. And it doesn't mean you are mistreat people, nor does it mean that you are silent or have what I call halfway conversations where you have to kind of pick through to figure out what you really meant. You have to get clear on your communications. It is a fatal flaw. Your business will fail if you can't hit that third stage. So my advice is this. I want you to pay really close attention to your verbiage. This is the model to use in these conversations. What did I expect? What did I observe? This is a fact-based conversation, no emotion, no blame. What I expected to see was this, 
But what actually happened was this. The consequence was, to me, to you, to others, was this. And then the magic question, again, no blame, is that what you intended? It allows for the conversation to continue when you frame it that way. But what happens in these difficult conversations is we either avoid them altogether and we have to read through the lines because as an HR person, I can tell you almost 100% of the time, a manager is going to come to me and say, I need to fire this person. And I'm going to say, do they know it's coming? And that manager will 100% of the time say, oh, they know it's coming. And here's what I know for sure. They never know it's coming. And it's because the manager's version of straight talk is hey, uh, you made a mistake on that spreadsheet. Can you fix that? That's the second time you've made a mistake. That's the final warning. That is not a final warning, right? But if you say, this is what I expected, here's what's happening with specificity. And here's the consequence. Is that what you intended? Or what can prevent this from happening again? And then talk about it. Then you start to build trust that what you say you mean. That's very important at this third stage that people can trust that what you say is what you mean. Mm-hmm. And so then it gives you the freedom to share both good and negative feedback and have your people, it builds trust rather than breaks trust. And it probably it really invites a whole healthy conversation of like, this is what I observed yeah. and they can share what they observed. And, and, and that just gets into probably some great dialogue, I would imagine. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. As long as you leave, as long as you leave it open that the other person wasn't intending to do harm, then it does leave it open and you can have rich, rich, rich conversations with somebody. Those are the breakthrough conversations, right? You want something different. That's the goal. <laughs> it's like we want a, you want a different outcome, right? You want a different behavior. Yeah. So that's a really good point. I think you're right though. A lot of the women that we've talked to and connect with in our meetups or in our membership and our community itself is just either avoid it altogether or they just get so direct that it's not enrolling, right? There's a happy medium, right? To do both and to get a behavioral shift or this isn't working anymore, right? We have to and, do something and, different. You just think about what you would want. How would you want to be treated? Yeah, as, of course. Hey, I want to know the honest truth. I want to know if I'm failing. I want to know if my supervisor doesn't like the work that I'm doing, but I'd love to know it so I can fix it. And so we have to treat them the way we would want to be treated. I don't want you to hide the truth from me. Telling me the truth actually builds trust with me when you do tell me the truth. But we think it does the opposite. We think if we share something difficult that it's somehow going to break trust. So important, right? I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. How have you coached people to have, have difficult conversations? I love what you're saying with these questions, like a process almost like going in with mm-hmm. questions and, you know, any other tips or strategies around that? Because I think it's a big one for a lot of women. And I think it's something that a lot of women, you know, struggle with. What I love people to do is call me and say, you know, t- 
tell me what went down. Tell me how you said it. <laughs> and I had a client call the other day and she said, I think I just blew it. I told my manager that that was the worst idea ever and that it would oh. never work. And emotionally, that's sometimes how we feel. And she just blurted it out. She goes, I can't take, how do I take it back? So the, the tips are always create safety in the conversation. So you create common ground first. The first thing you would want to say is we both want this company to win, or I want you to know that I'm in it for the long haul here. I want us to look good, create safety. Then you move into, I want to share some things with you, what I'm seeing and understand what's going on. Then you do what I expect, what I observe. Then one of the three magic questions, I'm going to say them again because they're so important. This can change everything about your relationship. Is that what you intended? Do you see it differently? Is there something going on here I don't understand or don't see? Even if you botch and get emotional and share intent of the other person, like you meant to do this, or why would you do that? Even if you make mistakes like that, you can usually recover if you use one of those magic questions. But the idea is to create safety. Don't assume why somebody did something. Assume good intent. Don't bring emotion into it, only facts. And that will help you to get to a better place. I love that. I think that, you know, as Liz and, and I evolve with our teams and we schedule, we mindfully schedule the check-ins or recurring calls with the team. I want to talk about that, right? Depending on what we have going on, the project sometimes is a daily touch, sometimes is a weekly touch, sometimes is quarter, depending on who we are dealing with and what is the situation here. But you mentioned at the beginning that as you are trying something different, that you have those quote unquote check-ins just to see the progress or how is it going? The check-ins that you're referring to are those video calls are those Voxer text, WhatsApp, whatever you're using, or are you referring to KPIs? Like those are the reports that I would like to receive it. Or you feel that it's just like, I have to have a face-to-face -face virtual. I'm so big on connection. I'm big on connection. And I think we eliminate problems with greater connection. I prefer face-to-face -face or a phone call where we can communicate or Zoom where we can see each other. There's a difference between a touch-in and a grope and an all-out grope. So a touch-in for a manager is finding out where it is, finding out if there's any barriers that I can help overcome. And if I'm concerned about the approach they're taking, asking clarifying questions. Have you thought about X? What's the plan for when this possibly could happen? But a grope, we'll call it a grope. A grope is, well, could we do it this way instead? What if we revisit the way that you've designed it? And what if we do this and on this and this, and you start to redefining the project? That's an all-out grope. So don't do that. Just check in. Touch points are great. And, and I do like the idea of you expect what you inspect. So I like there to be regular, just on a regular cadence, a, a dashboard or something that shows me data. Because we always like to back, the data tells us, it's a lagging indicator, but it tells us whether what we're doing is starting to work. And I think those can be sent via email and they need to be very simple, very, very simple. What I like as a manager, or even as a person communicating to my managers, super simple, red, green, yellow. This is what got accomplished this week. Is it red, green, yellow? This is where we're at going into next week. Here's any barriers that I need you to overcome or concerns or watches 
red, green, and yellow, no more than two sentences on each of those three topics. And then you use the same thing over and over and over so that only the big stuff comes to surface because the mistakes people make is they have too complicated of scorecards, too complicated of data. We can't read it. We don't understand what we're seeing. So just scrap all that away and get to the bottom line. What's working? What's not working? What do you need my help on? You're speaking my love language. <laughs> Good. Simplicity. <laughs> No more than two sentences. If it is more than that, we got to talk. It's too much. Yeah. We had this conversation with another team member this week. I had this conversation with another team member this week. I got an email that I was like, oh my gosh, is this a speech or what? Right? <laughs> all great points, all great points. But I said, listen, let's just hop on a quick call so we can go over it because then it comes to a point there like, wait, wait a minute. Then I'm spending time looking through all the chain of emails and making sure we're all good there. So I was like, okay, that's not working. Let's just move it to something else. And I think pivoting is, is the key, right? As you grow, as depending mm -hmm. on where the team is. I have people in, in Australia. We communicate completely different than people that are here in the U.S., because our time frame is different. Our check-ins times is also different. It's going to be at the end of the day, 5.30, 6 o'clock my time, which, you know, it's not ideal to different people that we work with. So pivoting is the key. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk a lot about, the, you know, looking at your, your bio and the background you have, you talk a lot about moving from average to extraordinary. You know, and there's a lot to that, I'm sure. <laughs> it's not just like turn a switch on and now you're extraordinary. So I'm just curious to get your input, especially when thinking about women entrepreneurs and women who have small teams, growing teams, I should say, and they're looking to build more with whether it's contractors or full-time, part-time, right? Project-based all the time, you know, all, all different types of people they work with now. Mm -hmm. But we all want extraordinary performance, right? We, we want to be extraordinary mm -hmm. and anyone we work with, right? We want extraordinary results, of course. Who would not want that? So you would love to get into your, your brain a little bit around how that happens and how to, I would imagine you have to create an environment to create the extraordinariness. But I'm curious to get into how you've seen teams, partners move from average to extraordinary and not trade your life for it, right? Not right. grind it out. That That's different because we women know how to do that. We're all, we all have a PhD in that. Uh, a lot of women that we surround ourselves with. That's not what women want though, right? And that's why we've created this community. So yeah, curious to get insight around that. Shift. Oh, okay. So I'm going to, I wish I could teach a whole book on it, but I, I'll take one concept. And that is we tend, especially as women tend to think that working hard means adding value and it doesn't. The two can be completely different. Hopefully you're working on the right things, but the biggest single piece of advice for women, especially to go from ordinary to extraordinary would be stop paying attention to your stupid job description. It was written by somebody who had to post a job that next day, and it is not the end all be all. What you need to look at is I call it playing in the gap. There's the company and what it actually is, which is a broken down building that needs repair, right? Companies are so imperfect. And then there's the company they profess to want to be, or even sometimes profess to be, which is this beautiful gleaming castle, you know, with the pool out back. And your job is to play in the gap and look at within your job, what can I see? What are the biggest problems holding the company back from what it is 
to what it is wanting to become. When you play in the gap, you pick different priorities to work on and different problems to solve. And everybody within their grasp can find how to play in the gap and solve problems that matter to the business. But when you focus on your job description, you tend to go task-oriented, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, I'm going to get these things done today, whether they're the most important or the least important thing. But when you actually look at what are the biggest problems holding back the company from my point of view and my job, you can work on things that are important, that are meaningful, that drive business change for an organization. And I would take somebody who plays in the gap and is a just enough hard worker all day long over somebody that's a really hard worker that works on the wrong things. So learning to work on the right things and see what's broken and fix it is probably the most valuable skill set anybody can bring to a business. So following up on that skill set, right? Because a lot of what we as women have learned throughout conferences, books, from other quote unquote gurus is still how to invest in real estate, how to analyze the market, X, Y, and Z strategies, blah, blah, blah. We don't hear too much about leadership, building a solid team. And mm -hmm. I think that that's where the gap is. And that's where we stand with the real estate investor community, because mm -hmm. women can learn different strategies. It's available there. We are in the era mm -hmm. of getting the information, throw you a strategy right now. You can Google it. And I think the lack why women, a lot of investors are not so successful in real estate on their own terms is because they forgot to build a business with it, mm -hmm. within it, mm -hmm. and, and their leadership skills as well. So for all the solopreneurs that are listening to us right now, they are overwhelmed. They are successful in terms of what they, they have built so far, the amount of properties or projects that they have going on. However, business does not exist without them. They lack self-care. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. They might not be sleeping at night or not having the been life there. that I've they I've been want. there. Sure. Right? Raise, let's raise, all raise our hands, right? So for that person, where do they start building that muscle of leadership and say, I am not just an investor. I am a leader here. I'm a manager of people and I need to invest time into getting the skill sets if I don't have it, where they should go first. Boy, I have to speak from my own experience. I've been, you know, so easy to build a huge organization when I had all the funding in the world from a company. It's been really hard to do it on my own. So I, I would say taken from my own experience and from where companies screw up, especially small companies, they mess up because number one, they're not aligning their people's rewards to the right things. You would be blown away at what happens when you align success, your success and what you want to drive to your people's pay plan. Start there. And that sounds like a really funny thing to start at. But when I know that if I wake up every day and I help grow this business, I somehow get a piece of that. You get so much more out of your people. So align them to what winning looks like and give them a piece of the pie. You'll keep your people. The other thing I would do is prioritize things that create systems. Prioritize your people to work on things that can create repetitive systems so that you can, the volume can do, you can do more volume rather than these one-offs. And the third is you've got to spend, if you're not spending as a leader, 
at least I would say one hour a day. That's probably a good place to start. One hour a day clarifying or working with people, either training, clarifying, or creating what the vision is and what you're trying to accomplish. And particularly if you cannot say, what are the three things we have to get done by year end? What are the three most important objectives? If you can't say that off the top of your head, you are somehow lost in the weeds of your business. Because when I go in to visit with companies and they say, why is my company failing? A hundred percent of the time, I have yet to go on a company and interview their people and have the people give the same answer as these leaders give. Not once, not once do they all give the same answers. It's all about alignment, right? You've got to align your people so they know what winning looks like. If they don't know what winning looks like, they're going to choose what they think winning looks like. And it might not be what winning looks like for you. So if that's a really good gauge just to say, go, go pull your people. If you're listening right now, go pull your people and ask, ask them. Don't give them any hints. What are the top three things we have to accomplish by year end? What's the most important objectives and see how aligned your people are. And then you get the answers back and you have to navigate, right? The gap, right? right? Yeah. And if they know those three things, what's great is then, as I talked about playing in the gap, they have something that they know the stake in the ground. They know where we're going. And so they can make decisions from that framework and they can play in the gap and know what's most important that will help you get to those end things, even if, you know, you're not telling them with perfection, everything that needs to be done. Tessa, what do you say to the women that are listening to this? And they're like, that's a lot of work to, to, you know, and and then they go back to their old kind of patterns. They're interpreting that as a lot of work. I just Mm -hmm. easier just to do this myself. It takes five minutes, you know, rather than going in through. And so what strategies or what questions can they ask themselves to kind of get better aligned to maybe where they want to go? Because where they want to go is probably going, they're going to need people, teams to get them there or not. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's probably women that look at, you know, alignment and it is as work, right. As something like, wow, that could be something that is going to cause me to step out of what I'm doing, but yet it's going to get them to really where they want to go. So what, what's like almost like some questions or a process they can bring themselves to so they can work through that a little bit. It's a different type of work, right? So just curious if you navigate that with solopreneurs and women working through that different processes they have to do. The first thing is getting clear on what you want and don't want, because for some women, they do want to just run a business that they can run with just them. They don't want other people to rely on them. And what comes with that, when you pick up one end of the stick, you pick up the other, you simply need to know. That means your business will not grow beyond a certain point. It's like a doctor, right? A doctor isn't going to grow his practice if it's just the doctor. Sure. So you need to just be clear on what it is. If growth is what you want. I had a dear friend, he was named top 40, you know, best businessman multiple times over. And he said to me, Tessa, if you want your business to grow, you got to start with three. He says, you got to have somebody that can help you with finance. Somebody can help with operations and you. And he said, you really do better if you have three. If you don't have three, you can't scale your business. So that was a piece of advice he gave me. And even if you start with consultants or other people, knowing that those those are three legs on that stool, that if you take one off, you got to play that other role, right? And you can sit on a stool with two legs on it instead of three or four legs, but it's harder. And if it's one, right, if it's just stool with one leg, you're going to spend all your time balancing that stool as opposed to actually being able to sit and focus. 
And so I would start people with getting the right few people on board as the first step so that you do have people with expertise and roles and then align the business to where you want to go. And there's a great book called How Women Rise that Sally Helgeson wrote. It's one of my favorite books. I wish I'd read it a long, long time ago. It talks specifically through some of the problems we as women have and how to fix it. And I recommend you read it, pick one thing to work on, and it will help you become a better leader. Are you looking for it, Andressa? I am. Like, <laughs> I read it. I was like, where is that book? Where is that book? Like, I just funny. need to read like, that. I was like, where is that? <laughs> I love that. I love that. There's, there's so much to this, right? Definitely workshop-ish is what I'm hearing too. Like there's a lot to these pieces of the puzzle and it's behavioral changes, putting these strategies in place and then, you know, learning from it, screwing up and going, okay, I could have done that better or trying this or trying that, but it's a process. And I uh, appreciate all your great tips and suggestions. Tessa, where can the ladies learn more about you? They can find me on Instagram or on TikTok at Job Dr. Tessa. That's probably where I'm most easily found. And they can also visit my website at thejobdoctor.com. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is, what's the most transformational book you ever read? Well, I'll just go with my gut is The Power of One. It's not a how-to book, but it's when I first realized that it doesn't matter what circumstances you are born into or what happens to you, that you can create something wonderful and right. positive in your life. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? I learned from this from Stephen R. Covey. It's a modification. Three times a day, beginning, mid, and end of day, we'll stop and say, what is the one thing that is most important that I do right now? And am I working on that thing? And it helps me correct myself so that I, I get off the minutia because I think as human beings, we always tend to go to the easy stuff. And then you find yourself doing the easy stuff and not the stuff that actually needs to be done. And that helps me make a quick brain retrain. Wonderful. Last question, which woman famous or not has inspired you the most? I think Gwyneth Paltrow is badass. I just love that this woman has gone from actress to incredible businesswoman. And I watch her all the time. I think she's amazing. Tessa, thank you so much for being on our show today. Really appreciate your time, appreciate your expertise and sharing all your knowledge with us and the community and our, our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.